Here is a fun fact about me. I am not a flexible person. When I say this, I don't mean that I have to stick to a rigid schedule or that I'm easily influenced by others who are in my life. No, I mean that physically, I am not flexible. Others recognize just how serious of a problem that this is for me. When I show people how close I can get to touching my toes, they don't believe me. They say, Zach, you're lying. There's no way you are that inflexible because that would be so embarrassing if you were that inflexible. And they're correct. It is embarrassing how inflexible I am. The reason that I am so inflexible is because I have really tight hamstrings. These muscles in the back of my legs here are not loose. They do not move freely. And we all know it wouldn't be that challenging for me to solve this problem for myself. All I have to do is embrace the discipline of stretching and endure the pain that comes with the process. I recently recognized just how severe my inflexibility is, so I've tried to stretch my hamstrings every night before bed. So when you see me right here trying to touch my toes and that this is as far as I can get, this is progress, okay? This is how bad I am. This is how inflexible I am, okay? I have been lazy about my problem, yet I choose to complain about my problem. With discipline comes pain, and I don't like pain. Why would I want to choose pain? Well, in this circumstance, I would want to choose pain because if I stretch my body, I can be healthier. By embracing the discipline, I can be more comfortable by having looser hamstrings. Unfortunately, this same laziness applies to believers in Jesus Christ. Christians pursue comfort anywhere besides the Lord. It's like following Jesus to ensure that you get to spend eternity with him, but you can live however you want right now. When you find comfort in your sin, the Lord does not want you to stay there. In his love, he will discipline you. And perhaps he will even remove that sin from your life so that you will come back to him. He does this because your sinful patterns, your sinful habits destroy you. And when we have this taken away from us, it's really painful. The sin that we find comforting is gone. Will you allow him to take the sin from you? Or will you fight against him for your sin? As we look at our text today from Lamentations, we will see this idea. Find comfort in the Lord's discipline, not the world's treasures. Find comfort in the Lord's discipline, not the world's treasure. Turn with me to the book of Lamentations. It's in your Old Testament right after the book of Jeremiah. 
But before we really dive into this book, we have to make sure that we establish the context, know what's going on during this book. So the book of Lamentations never once reveals to us who the author is. We do have Jewish tradition and Christian tradition, which both ascribe it to the prophet Jeremiah. But it's difficult to know whether or not he wrote it. If he did, is it necessarily important for our study? What is important is what the book describes to us. Due to the great sin of his people, the Lord has lovingly and justly orchestrated for Babylon to destroy Judah's capital city of Jerusalem in 587 or 586 B.C., Now, before this event happened, the Lord has been warning Jerusalem, has been warning Judah through his prophets, saying, I will send a foreign nation to judge you if you do not repent. Their wickedness had become so severe that the Lord had to judge it because God loves his creation so much that he will inflict pain among them so that they will not live in that sin and instead embrace him. Even if that means destroying the nation he had raised for himself, he'll do it for their well-being. So we think about this. This is the event that's going on. And in response to this event, the author of Lamentations writes this book, Lamentations, five poems of lament, each one covering a different aspect of the destruction of Jerusalem. These poems are all acrostics, meaning that each line follows a verse of the Hebrew alphabet. So there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, so we have 22 verses per chapter, except for chapter 3, which is an exception, but we'll talk about that when we get there. So this is like beginning the first line of a poem with the letter A, second line with the letter B, third line with the letter C, and so forth. The reason the author is doing this is because the grief is so strong among God's people that it has to be expressed from A to Z. Now that we have this in mind, let's dive into Lamentations chapter 1 to see how you must find comfort in the Lord's discipline, not the world's treasure. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she has become. She who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate. Her priests groan. Her virgins have been afflicted. She herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the ed. Her enemies prosper because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. From the daughter of Zion, all her majesty has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wandering all the precious things that were hers from days of old. When her people fell into the hand of the foe and there was none to help her, her foes gloated over her. They mocked at her downfall. Jerusalem sinned grievously. 
Therefore she became filthy. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future. Therefore her fault is terrible. She has no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. The enemy has stretched out his hands over all her precious things. For she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those whom you forbade to enter your congregation. All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food to receive their strength. Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look and see if there's any sorrow like my sorrow, which is brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. From on high he sent fire. Into my bones he made it descend. He spread a net for my feet. He turned me back. He has left me stunned, faint, All the day long. My transgressions were bound in a yoke. By his hand they were fastened together. They were set upon my neck. He caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand. The Lord rejected all my mighty men in my midst. He summoned an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden as in a wine press the virgin daughter of Judah. For these things I weep. My eyes flow with tears. For comforter is far from me. One to revive my spirit. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands, but there is none to comfort her. The Lord has comforted against Jacob, that his neighbors should be his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. But hear, all you peoples, see my suffering, my young men. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and elders perished in the city while they sought food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns. My heart is wrung within me because I have been very rebellious. In the street, the sword bereaves. In the house, it is like death. They heard my groaning, yet there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. You have brought the day you announced. Now let them be as I am. Let all their evil doing come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my transgressions. For my groans are many and my heart is faint. Okay. So this is the joyous occasion we get to read in Scripture. But I think there's a lot more beauty in this passage if we just know where to look. So as we are walking through the text today, we will see how God comforts us in our sin. The passage provides three ways that God comforts us in our sin. Here's the first way. The Lord comforts when you forget your status in him. The Lord comforts when you forget your status in him. Now I want to make it clear that throughout this sermon, anytime I say the word forget, it's not this idea of something merely slipping our mind. Instead, it is willful ignorance of what God teaches. So let's see how the Lord comforts when you forget your status in him. Let's start in verse 1. Notice here that the prophet, or whoever it is that wrote it, whether it be Jeremiah or not, begins the poem with an exclamation of, How? 
The author of Lamentations speaks as if Jerusalem were a person. He personifies Jerusalem as a woman. From the world standards, Jerusalem was a glorious city. She was full of people and was a great nation of the world. She was like the beautiful princess that everyone wanted. If there were a place to be, it was Jerusalem. But the reason the author is exclaiming how is not because they still have that status, but because that status is gone. Anything and everything that would have given her value from the perspective of the world is gone. She was full of people, but is now lonely. She was great among the nations, but now she's like a widow. She was a princess among the provinces. Now she is a slave. Her comforts have been ripped away from her. And this reality drives Jerusalem, in verse 2, to weep bitterly about what she has lost. When she was a great city, everyone around her loved her. She had so many that loved her that she was willing to brag about it. But she should have been bragging about the Lord who brought her out of the land of Egypt. When Babylon was threatening her, she found comfort in the nations to protect her. She forgot the Lord that she served and the status that he had already given to her. Now that Jerusalem has fallen, these neighboring countries want nothing to do with her anymore. So despite her false comforts and your false comforts, the Lord comforts when you forget your status in him. This false comfort that Jerusalem trusted in led to her going into the exile. Maybe you remember why they had to go into exile. We find out why in the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 28, the Lord is describing through Moses the blessings that would come if they obeyed and the curses that would come if they disobeyed. In the end of Deuteronomy 28, describes what the ultimate punishment is. Let me read it for us. And the Lord will scatter you among all peoples, from one end of the earth to the other. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. And among these nations you shall find no respite. And there shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot. But the Lord will give you there a trembling heart and failing eyes and a languishing soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. Night and day you shall be in dread and have no assurance of your life. In the morning you shall say, if only it were evening. In the evening you shall say, if only it were morning, because of the dread that your heart shall feel, and the sight that your eyes shall see. And the Lord will bring you back in ships to Egypt, a journey that I promise you should never make again. And there you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but there will be no buyer. The ultimate punishment for disobedience to the covenant was exile. What the Lord had taken Israel out of in Egypt, their burdensome slavery, their horrible treatment, their lack of hope, will now be given to them in their exile. This is a reversal of the exodus from Egypt. They had found comfort in their worldly status instead of the one the Lord had given to them. Rather than be a light to the nations, Jerusalem joined the nations in her darkness You likewise had a new calling if you are in Christ to serve the church out of love for him. Sometimes, though, there's just that other group of people that makes you a little uncomfortable, so you kind of just stay away from them and don't really want to serve them. 
or you're really, really comfortable in one spot. So you just stay there and never branch out. I don't think this is what the Lord has called us to. We should be willing to seek out people who make us uncomfortable and serve them. This includes people who are not even in the church. Do not make the same mistake that Jerusalem did with the Lord. Learn from her mistakes and repent of yours. The author of Lamentations begins to describe how the roads are mourning because no one is coming to these festivals anymore. The covenants that the Israelites had made with the Lord mandated celebrating festivals in Jerusalem. It was to remind them of what the Lord had already done and what he was yet to do. It reminded them of the status that they could find in him. But this has been taken away because Jerusalem has been destroyed. And now due to the Lord's discipline... For Jerusalem's sin, Jerusalem's enemies are the ones who are prospering. Now Jerusalem's enemies are her master. Her children are taken away into exile as captives. And whose hand is this? It's the Lord's hand who is doing this. He can even use foreign powers that are evil to accomplish his will. He's allowing the nations who oppose his people to prosper from her demise. And this brings great pain to Jerusalem. She used to be honorable among the nations, but her majesty has left her. It doesn't exist because Jerusalem has been destroyed. It shows how God's presence is no longer in the temple. He no longer dwells in the Holy of Holies anymore. And if that were not bad enough, take note how it describes that Jerusalem's princes are like deer without pasture because they are starving. They haven't eaten This lack of food has left them weak so they can no longer fight their pursuer. Although you are probably not physically starving, perhaps you are spiritually starving. Since maybe you have forgotten your status in Christ, you have placed your identity in the world's treasures You strive to have the perfect marriage, the perfect family, the perfect social media, the perfect church outfit, the perfect job. But placing your identity in these things, which aren't even inherently bad, is meaningless. The most important thing about you is your relationship with the Lord. And you will falter eventually, but even there, the Lord comforts when you forget your status in Him. Now we see... In in verse 7, the author of Lamentations shifts his attention to Jerusalem's present. Although Jerusalem is experiencing great hardship, she can reflect fondly on the past. Not all of her past was good, but there are definitely parts of it that are good. The Lord made a great promise to King David, promising him that he was going to have a son who would sit on the throne forevermore. But how can that be fulfilled if there's no kingdom for him to reign? It's very likely that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, knows that, that the nation of Babylon knows that, that the nations around her know that, and they are mocking her because how can that promise be fulfilled anymore? Calling their God a fake. But why is this happening? It's because Jerusalem sinned against God. Sin makes people dirty and stinky before a holy God. So this is the status of God's people Instead of the holiness that he had called them to. 
God chose them as a nation to spread his glory to the ends of the earth. But they failed. And her shame is on full display in her destruction. She now fears more what the nations think of her than what her Lord thinks of her. And she turns her face away. What made her unclean? It was in her skirts. Now this is a passage, you know, verse. It's a little bit difficult to understand exactly what the author means. But I think a simple way to put it is just that the people of God are so caught up on living in the moment that they're not thinking about their future. Her lack of wisdom made her destruction even worse than it should have been. She rejected God, so she has no comforter. Now she wants the Lord to look at her, and she's saddened that her enemies have triumphed over her, but she made the Lord her enemy by not obeying him. And the Lord has disciplined her for that. So my family did not originally attend church when I was younger. We didn't start until I was in fifth grade. Within a few months of my family attending church, my mom professed faith in Christ, and she was saved by him. A few months after that, after being antagonistic to the church for quite some time, my dad finally attended church after my mom begged, her for, begged him for months. In the first service he attended, he professed faith in Christ. About six months after that, during youth group, the Lord worked mightily in me, and I professed faith in Christ. The Lord was working incredibly, incredibly powerfully in my family. But even though I had professed faith in Christ, I was really, really struggling as a young believer. I had lots of sin that was really pervasive in my life, so I was wrestling with assurance of salvation, wondering, Lord, how can I be saved if all I do is just live in sin? Did you really save me? Am I doing something wrong? So after church one day, I expressed this concern to my mom, and she assured me, Zach, if the Lord has saved you, he's already done the work in you. You don't have to worry about it. And that conversation really put me at ease. And I haven't really struggled with assurance of salvation since then. The problem that I was running into was I had forgotten my status in Christ, that I was already redeemed in Christ because I thought my salvation was based on me. So I was believing and doing things that I should not have been. If I had remembered my status, then maybe I would have found comfort in it. My friends, please do not find your comfort anywhere else besides the Lord. Sin is alluring, so you must be ready. Ready your minds to fight against it. You have, bought, you have been bought with the price of the Son of God. Live that out. Do life with other people who share that status with you. Invite other people to share that status with you if they don't already have it. Place all of your hope, all of your faith in him who gave you the status. On your own, you are merely a dead man walking. But Christ has raised you to life. You are called to live in the world, not to be of it. Find comfort in the Lord's discipline, not the world's treasure. Remember that the Lord comforts when you forget your status in him. Secondly, 
The Lord comforts when you forget your reliance on Him. The Lord comforts when you forget your reliance on Him. Again, please note, when I say forget, I am referring to our willful ignorance of how God reveals Himself to us, not innocent ignorance. So if we look at verse 10 here, the author describes all the precious things that David, Solomon, and more of the kings have built, but they're gone. This temple was the place where the Jews could be in the presence of the Lord who had created the universe, but now the surrounding nations have entered into their sanctuary, and this is so offensive to the Jews. They can't believe that this has happened. I mean, the problem isn't that the Gentiles, the nations around them, couldn't be saved. There are examples of the nations around them and people from them who are saved. The problem is how the nations have crushed the temple. Ironically, though, Jerusalem brought this upon herself. Since she relied on the nations for comfort, now the nations find comfort by entering that sanctuary and destroying it. And this great destruction of Jerusalem leaves everyone searching for bread in verse 11. Interestingly, the Israelites in the desert hated the manna that the Lord gave them. I guarantee you they would do anything to get that back now. And now all these world treasures they labored so hard for are shown to be meaningless because they had to trade those world treasures for food. Their family's most prized possessions are being traded for food. I think we all find ourselves in a bind sometimes, right? We're really, really wrestling. We're really, really struggling. Dark thoughts fill our mind. And in that, I'm going to guess you do not immediately turn the Lord. How do I guess that? Because I don't. I love to rely on myself. I'm guessing you do as well. You always encourage your friends and your family to come to you when they're broken. But when you're broken, do you seek others out? Do you encourage yourself to seek others when you are broken? What good does it do to keep everything to yourself? My friend, you cannot survive the Christian walk alone. Everyone is hurting. Everyone is broken. You are not alone. Imagine the impact of each person in this church openly displaying their brokenness for the glory of God. Do not merely encourage others around you to share their brokenness. Encourage yourself to share that brokenness in the church. Scripture commands you to rely on your brothers and sisters in Christ on God together. Humble yourself at the foot of the cross so that you too will not be overtaken by the enemy. Let's get back to verse 11. At the end of verse 11, some of your Bibles might have quotation marks starting at the end of verse 11 here. And this is because Jerusalem moves from being described to being the one who herself is talking. This is now Jerusalem's own words. And she's calling on anyone to look at her and to notice what has happened. Jerusalem is distraught by what the Lord has done to her, and that he has afflicted it. She knows that the Lord is angry with her, but she desires pity from who? Her former lovers who had given her comfort. 
And this anger that the Lord has poured out on Jerusalem comes from the heavens, calling back to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19. Jerusalem has become so wicked and so vile that they are like Sodom and Gomorrah. Despite her great sin, the Lord was incredibly patient and pleaded with her, please, my people, find comfort in me. But she has to be judged for the covenant she agreed to. And Jerusalem perceives this as God being a hunter who laid a net for her feet. And this judgment is so fierce that she's left faint and stunned. And this judgment awaits you if you try to rely on yourself. Jerusalem now, beginning in verse 14, begins to realize what the Lord is doing. He has bound her transgressions, her sin in a yoke around her neck. Before, the Lord was taking the weight of their sin off of their neck through the sacrificial system. But now it is entirely being placed on her and the weight is too much. The result of this is that Jerusalem's strength is gone. She is understanding how she cannot rely on herself because all it does is make her weak and vulnerable. And now, this same rejection applies not not just to Jerusalem herself, but the warriors who were in the city. They were supposed to protect her. The reason the nation of Judah and Israel were so successful for so long is because their armies were really, really strong. But they were no match for Babylon who just conquered them. Jerusalem was crushed as easily as grapes in a wine press because she relied on herself instead of the Lord. And now Jerusalem is weeping how the things she was relying on have been taken away from her. She desires the world's treasures to be her comforter, but they are far away. Jerusalem is hoping that they can revive her, these comforts, but only the Lord can revive her. Her problem is her reliance upon a false idol, the world's treasures. The author is emphasizing that God's people must find comfort in the Lord's discipline and not the world's treasures. Just for fun this week, I did a little Google search about comfort and reliance. And I came across this startling article. Here's the title of it. Why you should never depend on anyone but yourself. Okay? It's from Elite Daily, written by Paul Hudson, 2013. Here's how he begins the article. The fact is that our world exists within a sad reality. We are all completely alone in this world, and anyone that tells you otherwise is simply lying to you or is too ignorant to understand what it is they are truly saying. You yourself are the only person that you can and ought to rely on. You may say to yourself that you have friends that are there to support you, that you have family that is there to help you when you need help. This may be true, but it does not change the fact that when push comes to shove and the end is nigh, you are alone completely. As the saying goes, you come into this world alone, And you depart from it alone. A large idea in his argument is that if you can't rely on something 100% of the time, then you should not rely on them ever. By definition, they are not entirely reliable. It does not matter if they are your friends. It doesn't matter if they are your parents. Eventually, someone will disappoint you. So you might as well just be ready to do it all alone. 
Now, how easy is it to look at Paul Hudson's article and just laugh at how stupid it is? Who really thinks they can rely entirely upon themselves? That's and so foolish. Who even makes such an argument? You do. When you rely upon yourself, when you see the world's treasures, how alluring they are, how enticing they are, and you give in, you are making the same argument as Paul Hudson is. You see others and think that you're doing all right. Sure, you have sinned, but you don't need salvation as much as the other people do. Their marriage is a mess. Their family is a mess. Their tithing is bad. Their sin is obvious. Their political opinions are so bad, you want to laugh at it on social media. Well, because you're a good person, you don't comment. Even if those things are true about the other people, it doesn't mean you need salvation any less than they do. You do not have all the answers. When you rely on your own goodness, you are acting just like Hudson describes. You need God more than you could ever possibly imagine because you are more sinful than you could ever possibly imagine. Many think that the opposite of love is hate, but it's not. The opposite of love is selfishness. And all that you will ever find in yourself is selfishness. All you will ever find in him is love. He alone can transform your heart to desire what you should desire. If you want change in your life, it's a good start. But don't find it in yourself. Don't try and fix yourself. Trust in him. Obey what he commands in his word. Your doing accomplishes nothing. And as soon as you try to pull yourself up by the bootstraps, the Lord comforts when you forget your reliance on him. Thirdly, the Lord comforts when you forget your scriptures from him. The Lord comforts when you forget your scriptures from him. One more time, when I say forget, I'm referring to intentional disobedience, not accidental neglect of God. As God's covenant people, Jerusalem should know the scriptures very well. She was commanded by the Lord to teach it and to meditate on it daily. She should have known to stretch out her hand to the Lord in the first place, but she didn't. Forgetting the scriptures, as she talks about in verse 17, has resulted in her having no comforter during the time of her affliction. And now she's lamenting and looking in all of the wrong places. The author knows that the Lord commanded Jerusalem to recognize the neighboring countries as foes, not friends. The problem is that Jerusalem failed to read the scriptures. So she ended up becoming filthy, just like the nations around her. And then we look at verse 18. Jerusalem begins to speak again. And at long last, after all of this poem, she finally admits that the Lord is correct to judge her. She finally sees what the scriptures teach. She finally understands how she sinned. But, yet again, she wants the nations to see her suffering. She cares more what the nations think about her than what the Lord thinks as he revealed in scripture. She digs a hole even deeper for herself in verse 19 by calling to the one 
who are her lovers instead of the one who loved her to begin with. She admits that her actions were acts of adultery, but she blames it on the nations for deceiving her instead of on herself for committing the action. Jerusalem is now hoping that the nations will give her simple aid, like food, but they want nothing to do with her anymore. Even the priests and elders of the city are dying of starvation because they too deceived Jerusalem with false theology. They too forgot the scriptures and misled God's people. Her deception led to a lack of strength, but strength is only found in God's word. And the Lord comforts when you forget your scriptures from him. How you seek satisfaction amidst pain shows you what is important to you. When the Lord convicts you of these things that you turn to when no one else is looking, you might even recognize that you're sinning. How often do you plead in a petition like this? Lord, don't worry. I'll get it right next time. I know I'm struggling with viewing my sisters in Christ as objects. I know that I'm struggling, gossiping about people's sins behind their backs. Don't worry, Lord. I'll get it right next time. You can count on me. This mentality will never succeed because it's based on you. Do you think God can count on you? Or do you think you can count on God? Seek help in the Lord, not within yourself. Allow his word to transform you by meditating on it instead of the sin you turn to in your pain. We're going to close out here, verses 20 through 22. We see Jerusalem is calling out to the Lord in her anxiety. It's eating her up inside. Her stomach is churning. All of her being is wrestling with what just happened. Jerusalem knows she has rebelled against her Lord. The sword has made Jerusalem childless, and she's grieving this death of her children because not even her house is safe from what the Lord is doing to her. Jerusalem knows that the nations have heard, has heard her groanings. She is voicing her complaints to them, but they still don't want to comfort her. She thought that by finding comfort in the nations before she fell, they would comfort her after she fell. But she was mistaken. Her response is not repentance. Rather, Jerusalem asked the Lord to judge the nations she was just finding comfort in. Now that it's convenient for her, now she wants justice for them. Does she not remember five seconds ago when she was relying on them? She pleads with the Lord, please judge their evil just like how you judged mine. She's so focused on their sin, she forgets about hers. She wants the Lord to act. She wants God to bring the final judgment she has been waiting for. But she's missing what God is doing in this. God is not executing this justice to bring about the last days. He is executing this justice because he loves her. And because he does not want her to live against him. Maybe if she had trusted that God's word reveals who he is, she would have been reading the scriptures that God had given. 
Some of you may know that I am a young married man. I've only been married for four months, so obviously I know exactly what I'm doing, and I have all the answers at this point in time. And I love my wife very much. She makes me laugh more than anyone, and she listens to me better than everyone. She is the perfect person for me to talk to because she is always engaged in the conversation, and she always listens to me. But we have a problem in our communication. It's me. I'm the problem. Why am I the problem? I love talking. You know what I don't love? Listening. I'm not good at it. You can ask her later. I am often more focused on what I'm going to say next rather than listening to what she is saying to me. She'll oftentimes be talking to me and I hear what she's saying, but I'm not listening to what she's saying. I can repeat back to her what she has said, but I do not know her heart as she says it. Just I can tell you facts doesn't mean that I know her or that I love her. If I trusted that what she is saying reveals her to me, I would listen better. I would know her better. This same reality applies to this. You're with a good amount of problems. Preach at the church, but perhaps you've been sliding to God's word. Do you know feels his book? Imagine the scripture like we do in Hebrew four third. May fall by the same sort of disobedience. Active, sharp, sin of marrow, and intentions of the heart. Creature is hidden from account. And. We think of this path. He and he wants to love his word. And the Lord, the world's treasure. When you mess first, when you forget your. this point. The author in the first chapter is describing there's nothing get your status in him. He comforts, he comforts when you forget him. That comforts
word of comfort is only Okay. The Lord to get a better of if you're going translate and off the over through Old Testament this Greek translation is one is that the word every time lamentation for A comforter, or to describe the who was desire don't have this thing life God to give a storm. Bruce waiting available is Paul so he is and of it you will leave this effort Comfort in the world. find comfort. him must to do of fully are not of your trust Christ boss. Fitting you.